clap. Do, 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 do. Let's fuck it up. <laughs> Good start. All right. Welcome back to True Crime Trine. It's a podcast where the planets align. Not today, obviously. Three friends get together and have scintillating conversations about true crime, <laughs> astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode 77, The Shit Show, where I just spilled a beer all over my desk. Uh, Meredith has a sinus infection, and Sarah has the post-booster vibes. Ouchies. The post-booster ouchies. Aww. So we're in, a, we're in a great mood tonight, everybody. We are a dumpster fire. Oh, God. Everything is burning. We'll keep it short and sweet. Anyway, let's hit this. All right. I'm down about a third of a beer. Okay. Well, I do have a little bit of housekeeping, and that's just simply to say we will repost our Discord link if anyone would like to join. We just had some of the PAO crew join as well as the librarian, so thank you for interacting with us. It's a great way to... Super fun. Uh, catch us Maybe in real join. time. <laughs> yes, Sarah, you should join. Jesus Christ. I don't have Discord. It's easy. It's easy to connect. You can... You can chat over it, too. Yeah, and you can message us when you're listening to the episodes if you have any questions or just anything you would like to share with us or Complaints, opinions. concerns. Or, yeah. Stories, facts, opinions. Yeah. Your recommendations. Yeah, and the librarian sent us a recommendation to add to our European tour, so uh, we'll definitely check out the Poison Plant Garden. Fuck yeah, we will. Which subsequently also has mini golf and a treehouse restaurant, which I'm really excited about. Let's do this, guys. Okay, let's get it done. Cool beans. All right, ladies. We are going to leisurely slide into spooky season with this episode. Okay. Okay. That's fine. We are going to start by cruising Highway 101 to Northwest, and I mean Northwest Washington State. Okay. We are headed to Clallam County on the Olympic Peninsula, just about 17 miles west of Port Angeles. I fucking love Port Angeles. I do too. This is a beautiful area that is bordered to the north by the Strait of Juan de Fuca and to the south by the Olympic National Forest. And when I say it is gorgeous, it's, gorgeous. it's amazing. Our trek will take us to the shores of Lake Crescent. Every time we've passed this lake, I'm just like, it's so serene. It's so beautiful. I just would love to spend some time out here. So when I was down a rabbit hole, I found a very interesting story about Lake Crescent that I will share with you. But a little bit more about the lake itself. Around 8,000 years ago, a landslide dammed Indian Creek, which filled the valley with water. And geologists believe that Lake Crescent and Lake Sutherland, which is just over to the side of it, 
were formed at this time and they were actually separated by the landslide. According to the local lore of the Clallam tribe, a battle between the Clallam and the Quileute tribes angered Mount Storm King. <laughs> to end the quarreling, the king removed a large piece of his peak and threw it down into the valley below, <laughs> thus damming the river and creating Lake Crescent. I'll do it, I guess. Lake Crescent is known for its icy crystal blue waters. Ooh. The lack of major inflows to the lake limits the amount of plant nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus, which prevent algae growth and gives the water its super, super awesome clarity. Sweet. If you can bear it, the water is a numbing 44 degrees. No thanks. <laughs> Wait, how cold is Lake Superior? Because I know people who jump like off of those rocks to go swimming slash screaming in there. <laughs> yeah, screaming. Ah, it hurts. Basically. <laughs> Let's see. Lake Superior, it says freezing. <laughs> okay. I mean, it doesn't actually... It freezes in the wintertime, yes, but like in the summer, I don't think it's frozen. Generally 40, average oh, okay. 40 degrees. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty cold. No thanks. This is the second deepest lake in Washington state, and the official on record maximum depth is 624 feet, which would be large enough to cover the Space Needle, so that gives you a visual of how deep this lake is, though it is rumored to be as much as a thousand foot deep in some places. Yikes. That's crazy. And crystal clear, so like super spooky to be able to see straight down. Uh-huh. Lake Crescent has an eerie reputation for, quote, rarely giving up its dead, end quote. Uh-huh. Oh, his, uh, was a, a thousand, thousand feet, feet deep. deep. From time to time, a curious mist floats atop the lake. And according to the lore from the Quileute tribe, when a person passes away, the good moves on and the darkness is left behind. And they believe that the mist that hovers above the lake are the angry spirits that oh. cannot move on. Cool. I love fog, but now it's got creepy. <laughs> so if that wasn't hair-raising enough for you, some locals claim they've seen a woman drifting along the shore of Lake Crescent and then out onto the water. She is pale and translucent, almost appears to glow in the darkness of the night. Love it. Great. There are quite a few Lady of the Lake stories from around the world, but this one is particularly tragic. And just side tangent, I got some decent ancestry research results on this, so here's some unnecessarily long information. I love ancestry, though. It's so cool. I do, too. So I'm going to introduce you to Haley Brooks Latham. She was born on January 8th of 1901 in Greenville, Kentucky, to a hardworking farm family. Her father's name was Finnis. He was 32. And her mother's name was Mary Susan Latham, otherwise known as Bunny, which I love. <laughs> Bunny. Aww. She was 25. Haley would be the oldest of nine children. Sorry, Bunny. Oof. She was followed by her brother Ibel in 1903, sister Cammy Bruce in 1904, brother Ralph, who went by Red in 1906, brother Doyle Cranston in 1909, 
The family then moved from Greenville to Muhlenberg, Kentucky. It's not very far away. It's only a couple of miles to the south, but that occurred in 1910. During the same year, Holly's brother Eibel died at the age of seven, but it didn't say what from. Hmm. The Latham family continued to grow with the birth of Haley's brother Daniel, also in 1910, her sister Anna Margaret in 1911, her sister Lois Christine in 1913, sister Laura Bonnie in 1916, and lastly her sister Bertice was born in 1920 in Elk Point, South Dakota. A lot of sisters. Uh-huh. Did not get those farmhand boys. <laughs> no. And there's a couple. Prior to the birth of her younger sister, Haley met and married Floyd James Spraker on September 26th of 1919. She was 18 in either Mitchell or Davison, South Dakota. It said both <laughs> in some places. According to Haley's family tree, Haley and Floyd welcomed their daughter, Doris May Spraker, on May 21st of 1920 in Wagner, South Dakota. So Haley's daughter was just 90 days younger than her oh sister, Batiste. Wow. Uh-huh. I just couldn't imagine being pregnant at the same time as my mom. No. That's, yeah, that's insane. So bleh. Haley, Floyd, and Doris moved to Wayne, Nebraska in 1930. The couple had been married for 11 years when Floyd passed away on August 16th of 1931. There was no other information provided about Floyd's death. And then from what I read, it did not appear that Doris stayed with her mother. Oh. So I'm not quite sure what that was all about. <laughs> okay. But Doris ended up in California, and she lived there until she was 91 years old when she passed away, September 24th of 2011. So Doris did have a long... Very long life. Long yeah. life. <laughs> Mysterious beginnings, but... Yes, Very. Back to Haley, though, on August 8th of 1932, she married Donald Bruce Strickland in Elk Point, South Dakota. There was little to no narrative about her life in her 20s and 30s, except to say that she spent a good deal of time moving westward across the country in search of better jobs hmm. and a better life. And she only had one daughter with her first husband through 11 years. Yes. Wow. Job. I was also one and done, so I get yeah. I mean, yes, but it's easier to do that now than the 20s. Especially growing up in a family that was bigger, too. Yeah. You were pregnant the same time as your mom was pregnant. Like, I feel like you would expect that you would have more kids. Like, Or maybe it was like, I don't ever want my kid to I have don't want the same my mom's experience. Life. Yeah. So according to some of the other sources, I think some of her family members kind of like followed her or she was following them because and it doesn't say like who specifically in her family but kind of they just all kind of merged over to you know westward as the years went on so again it there was not a lot of information about her marriages but it did say that she fancied a drink <laughs> all right and that she had terrible taste in men oh no oh haley ouch I don't consider Haley to be like a name from the 19, like 100. So I was like, Haley, I have a very distinctive picture in my head of like the Haley who went to high school in like 2004 in her Abercrombie sweater or something. <laughs> yeah. Nope, I guess it has been a name for much longer. And it could be Holly, <laughs> but I'm going Haley because I already started that way. We're going to so. continue with that. We'll stick with it. I'm just going to keep picturing her in her Abercrombie hoodie and a little mini skirt. <laughs> a pleated one. It's mid-2000s. 
in my mind. I don't know that I've ever worn a miniskirt, but that's all right. So back to Haley. Her marriage to Donald would end up in divorce. I was not able to find a date for that, but it was sometime around when she ended up in Port Angeles, which was in 1936. She did find a little apartment in Port Angeles, and then she started working as a barmaid at what was then called Singer's Lake Crescent Tavern. She's combining work and play, which we don't advise. So this tavern is now the historic Crescent Lodge, and it is located south of Barnes Point on the south shore of Lake Crescent. I know when I say tavern, you might think like a small building, but this is a very large building, and we can post up some pictures of it because it is quite beautiful. Cool. As a side note, there was a lot of stuff going on in the world at this time. (laughs) To give you a hint, some of the world leaders included Franklin D. Roosevelt from the U.S., Neville Chamberlain from the UK, Joseph Stalin from Russia, and Adolf Hitler from Germany. So It's a big time. Yeah. Let's just say some shit was about to go down. Let's just hang out at Lake Crescent in, in the very middle of nowhere, Washington, and not worry about it. Yeah. I will add that Franklin D. Roosevelt assisted in designating the Olympic National Forest as a national park in 1938 (laughs) after his visit to the region in the fall of 1937. So just before our story takes place. He's like, yep, this is pretty. Protect it. Keep it. Yeah. (laughs) And it is. It is so beautiful out there. And I'm just going to throw this in here. I did read in one article, it was just one, that Singer's Tavern may also have had a house of ill repute in the back. Oh. Hmm. I'm guessing a lot of places kind of did at this time, but (laughs) it wasn't mentioned in like the more notable uh, sources, but like, I I don't know, I found a sketchy source somewhere and I was like, "Mm." I'll go with this. Mm -hmm. Anywho. Uh, Haley was working at the tavern waiting tables and she met a local man named Montgomery or Monty as we will refer to him Illingworth and Monty was a beer delivery man who would often stop in at the tavern before and sometimes after his shift oh perfect match Mm -hmm. he was described as quite a charmer and a ladies man (laughs) It did not take long for the pair to fall in love, and I will put that in quotes. Quote, unquote. <laughs> and they were wed on June 16th of 1936 in Seattle. Some records said January 16th, but most of them said June. So we'll go with June. Okay. Turning here for domestic violence. Oh. It's not good. That's another mm. one of those bad tasted men, men. Yes. And I'm not going to go into it explicitly, but if it triggers you, maybe take a beat for a second. So the honeymoon phase did not last long. Almost immediately, Haley started coming to work with bruises and black eyes, broken teeth even. Oh, Jesus. The pair would fight violently in private and also in public. We'll just say Monty was not the only one throwing fists. Whoa. 
it was a very, very toxic relationship between the two of them. But you also add in the level of alcohol Mm -hmm. that each of them were consuming. So this was a very, very volatile relationship. I am more and more pleased that Doris was sent away. (laughs) Whatever happened to Doris is probably better than this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the timeline gets a little weird in places. So I just kind of picked one and went with it. It might not be 100% accurate, but like the years were were wrong in like some places. And then you're like, but if you do the math on it, then that's not right. Uh, So I chose the timeline where the math, you know, worked out. We're a math podcast. No, we are not. (laughs) (laughs) I think the math we care about is like years and then currency conversions. Yeah, there you go. So according to Monty, Haley ran off with another man. He said it was like a fisherman from Alaska, which I mean, this maybe, it could maybe be not. a thing, right? Just before Christmas in 1937. So this was like the night or the night of December 21st or early morning of December 22nd. Haley's family and friends were not convinced by Monty's story, especially when Haley did not contact them over Christmas. They were like, Mm. she would have called or written or something to be like, yeah, I finally ditched that loser. But that never, it never happened. What they did not know, but soon would learn, is that Monty had been shacking up with a gal named Eleanor Pearson, and she was the daughter of a wealthy lumberman in Port Angeles. Oh, lucky girl. Right? And, like, she doesn't know what he has been doing, that he's abusive? Well, I'm sure she did, but, like, her family and friends didn't necessarily know. In 1938, right, so she went missing Christmas 1937. In 1938, Monty petitioned for divorce from Haley, and it was granted. With no Haley. Right? (laughs) Interestingly, investigators would later find that the grounds for the divorce was not desertion, but rather incompatibility. Hmm. Well, I guess it's incompatible if you are a necrophile. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's very true. Good point. Hey. (laughs) And Monty then married, or at least that's what some sources say. Others just say that they lived together as husband and wife, but most of them said they got married. So Monty married Eleanor, and then the pair moved down to Long Beach, California. Okay. On July 6th of 1940, so about three years later, or less than three years later, Two men, or boys, it said the Rolf brothers. Man boys. Man boys. It didn't say if they were like grown up teenagers or children. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. We'll, we'll go Rolf brothers. The Rolf brothers went fishing out on Lake Crescent. The men discovered a strange bundle of gray blankets wrapped with rope that was floating on the surface of the water near the shore. Curious, which makes me think they I was were like, younger. maybe they're boys. <laughs> Yeah. They carefully untied a part of the bundle and peeled back the blankets. And what they found was the body of a woman in a green dress. Hmm. The Ralph brothers took off for the nearby trout hatchery to report the body. Mm-hmm. And the employees were at the hatchery were like, we don't believe you, which again makes me think they were that kids. That must be the, like, yeah, like, why would you say that to a, a grown up? Yeah, an adult. 
yeah, so I think I think they were kids. Well, your but- job with the trout hatchery is like that exciting. You would go look and see if there's a dead body. Oh, for sure. So they were like, you probably just found a deer carcass and it freaked out. So we'll walk down there with you and go check it out. So they walked down to the lake and they were just as shocked as the brothers had been. The boys been. were like, see? Motherfucker. told you. I know what a deer looks like. <laughs> the employees from the trout hatchery immediately called the Clallam County Sheriff's Office. They were like, fuck. <laughs> So investigators came out, they retrieved the body and took it to the local mortuary. What was so incredibly shocking about the body is that it was perfectly preserved. Ooh, because it's so cold. Oh. It was not bloated, which would be typical for a body in in water, Uh but it wasn't decayed either. Huh. The body was missing facial features and several fingers and toes, but otherwise was intact. Probably fishies. Well, she was wrapped in the blankets and the and the Ooh. rope. Okay, then I don't know. I'm like, fishy's wrestling in, bra- in blankets, but no. no. <laughs> Another side note, there are pictures of the bundle. Ooh. And there are pictures of the corpse. I don't know that we should post them. Mm. I think people can Google them for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine, but I'm going to look them up right now. <laughs> we wouldn't expect any less. <laughs> It took me a, a minute to get to them, so if you can't find them, I will send them to you. So you ladies might be familiar with this next part, but for our listeners, we are going to talk about saponification. Oh, yes. Saponification is a process that involves the conversion of fat, oil, or lipid into soap or alcohol by the action of aqueous alkali, or for us novices... It's a process in which the body's fatty acids turn into a waxy soap-like compound that covers the corpse and prevents putrefaction. Let me just say, right, side note, uh, myolympicpark.com does not have pictures of a corpse. Okay. I can send them to you. I have them saved here. Okay. So not like Leonardo in episode five, like where she actually cut up the body and made soap. <laughs> A na- more natural process. Yeah, it's a more natural process. So the body had the texture of soap. Just like super waxy. Ooh. Super yeah. weird. Some people called it like the ivory soap corpse. Oh. But the fat from the corpse had interacted with the minerals in the lake, which turned the skin into a soap-like wax called adipocere. Adding to the preservation of the remains was the cold temperature of the lake. And then the autopsy revealed that the woman was in her 30s. She was approximately 5 foot 6, around 140 pounds, because, again, she was not decomposed, right? So the majority of her was still there, just completely preserved. And they also found that she had been beaten and strangled to death. So... This was definitely a homicide. There was no, I mean, clearly, I mean, she's wrapped and dumped in the lake, but. <laughs> Suicide. It was in a water burial. Yeah. She had been beaten and strangled. And then after which she was tightly wrapped in the blankets, which also probably played a part in the preservation of her remains. And then those were tied very tightly with the ropes. And then in between the blankets were rocks. So she had been weighted Oof, down. Yeah. They estimated that she had been in the water for approximately three years. Whoa. That's mm-hmm. very well preserved for three 
years in the in the water. Yeah. One of the ropes had rotted a little and it let out some of the rocks from the blankets. And because the saponification process makes the body unusually light, it was then able to float to the surface. So had all of these things not occurred, that body may have never been recovered. The remains were buried as Jane Doe in a cemetery near Port Angeles as the sheriff's office started their investigation. The public did refer to her as the Lady of the Lake. Mm-hmm. Investigators first needed to discover who this woman was, and then they needed to figure out what happened and who murdered her and dumped her in the lake. During the autopsy, the medical examiner also found a six-tooth gold bridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with these, but it was more common back in the day, right, where your dentist would, instead of doing, you know, like a full set of false teeth, if you just had some teeth like in the back or something, they would create this bridge with the teeth and not necessarily, uh, you know, it's like a, a partial thing. It saves some of the function of the existing healthy teeth then maybe? or it, Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So like if your front teeth were good, but your, you know, your back teeth maybe weren't as good, they would do this, this partial. So the bridge of it was gold. So she's not poor. Well, not technically poor. They did use that because of the, I guess, the acidity in the mouth. So like if they had used other metals, it could have like corroded, corroded or... Yeah. or yeah, or or poison them. <laughs> oh, like Lead. how I used to use uh, um, like um, mercury and amalgam and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Investigators were like, okay, well, let's photograph this and let's send it out. They sent out the photographs to over 5,000 dentists nationwide. <laughs> Whoa. Is this your work? <laughs> Hoping that Good someone morning. would be able to help them, right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to just kind of backtrack and say like Haley's disappearance was explained and Mm. people kind of just moved on with life and just assumed that that was the truth so it's not at the forefront of the investigator's mind that a woman went missing right yeah Yeah. technically missing right because her husband said she ran away and then he left like three years ago so like yeah keep it out of the town talk for a while yeah kind of out of sight out of mind but It would take 14 months before the sheriff's office received a response, but in September of 1941, they got confirmation from a dentist in Falkton, South Dakota, that he had made a bridge that looked a lot like this for a patient, Haley Latham. Wait, so is this pre, like, dental records? Yeah. Like, one of the first dental records solving a... Kind of. Cool. Yeah. So, the... The body was then exhumed and re-examined, specifically the bridge, right? And the identification was made and confirmed by that dentist that that, in fact, was the bridge that he had made for Haley. Wow. And I just want to add that the sheriff's office was, like, actively investigating this case. There just was not a ton of information about their progress. I don't want them to sound like they weren't working on it as the time went on they were they did actually even eliminate a possible identity because a hiker had gone missing in Mm. the olympic national forest and they actually were able to rule that person out (laughs) so they were working on it 
But now that investigators knew that it was Haley, they were able to start connecting the dots really, really quickly. I'll do it. The sheriff's office was familiar with the pair due to Mm. the high number of domestic violence and public disturbance complaints that had been made during their very short marriage. Investigators interviewed Haley's co-workers, her friends, and other family members. One of Haley's friends was able to identify the green dress that was on the body as the one she had seen Haley wearing the day she disappeared. Whoa. Things were not looking too good for Monty, but police still needed to find him (laughs) and question him, right? So they're talking to these different people, and they do find out that he had moved down to California. So they're actively pursuing that as well. One of the most important clues in this case was actually the rope that was used to secure the blankets. Now, there are several versions of how the rope came to be, (laughs) but I'm just going to kind of summarize it, I guess. Essentially, Monty had borrowed a length of rope, like 50 to 100 feet of rope, from a local shopkeeper. Some said it was a previous employer. Some said it was actually the tavern. And he said he needed it because he needed to get his truck unstuck from the mud. (laughs) Others said he just needed to tow something. This would not be an uncommon method for towing, right? You're like, I just need a rope. Sure. You normally give it back, though. That's just it, though. (laughs) So the shopkeeper, his employer, or the bar owner, whoever it was, we're going to go shopkeeper. The shopkeeper told investigators that Monty never returned the rope he borrowed like he said he would. Yeah, that bitch. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And the most interesting part was that Monty had borrowed that rope on the night Haley disappeared. Mm. And no. he remembered it because he's like, you didn't give me back my rope. You, I have remembered it three years later. Some people hold grudges. Capricorn, shopkeeper. Or Virgo. It's written down they just, He just had like an Excel spreadsheet. Like, my rope was never returned like at the end of the month. All the things that didn't make it home. He has like a yeah. whole check-in, check-out for his rope and it was never checked back in. Right? <laughs> so... Keep in mind that we are in 1941, so forensic science wasn't what it is today, but the investigators were able to match the rope fibers from the bundle to the remaining rope in the shopkeeper's store. So they had a definitive match of fibers. That's pretty cool. Which is super cool. Investigators did learn that Monty was living down in Long Beach, California, And they believed that they had enough evidence to pursue charges. So they filed their paperwork for extradition and then also for the charge of murder. The big one. On October 26th of 1941, Monty was arrested by Los Angeles Sheriff's deputies and he was returned to Port Angeles to stand trial. All right. We should hang him with that rope. I know, right? (laughs) are going to be disappointed. Ah, no! I was already halfway hoping he'd already died in the war, but okay. <laughs> nope, he did not. Right? Because he's a beer delivery truck. Uh, he freaking, can't. Yeah. Yeah. He's not drunk. a prime. They can't yeah. send him off. They need their alcohol. He's not a prime right? specimen for the, no. the army. 
On February 24th of 1942, the trial began in Clallam County Superior Court. It was presided over by the Honorable Judge H.G. Sutton. And I love, and I've said this before, I love how everyone went by their initials. Oh, yeah. Like, back in this day. Yeah. Right? (laughs) This case was sensationalized by the local press, and people from the community flocked to the courthouse every day for this trial. Uh Uh-huh. Clallam County Prosecutor Max Church, assisted by a Mason County Prosecutor Frank Houston, presented a damn solid case against Monty, to which his defense attorney, Joseph Johnston, only argued that the body was not that of Haley Latham. Okay. He didn't kill her. Right? Or he he killed someone else because it's still a rope. (laughs) Right? The prosecution blasted back with testimony from Haley Sentis confirming that the dental bridge found on the body, technically in the body, uh, was Haley's. And testimony from Haley's friend confirming that that green dress was what she last saw her wearing the night she disappeared. Yeah, it's pretty damning. Yeah, the shopkeeper's testimony that was backed up by the forensic fiber match. So they're like fucking... Failed it. Whoosh, man. The trial lasted for nine days. The jury deliberated for just four hours before rendering their verdict. On March 5th of 1942, Monty Illingworth was found guilty of second degree murder. Oh, okay. Investigators had theorized and it was agreed that this was more likely a crime of passion rather than a premeditated murder. I can kind of see that, or it being an accident. He wasn't prepared. He had to go borrow the rope and everything. Mm-hmm. But he also was a drunk. He might not have been prepared to do anything. Exactly. On March 20th of 1942, Judge H.G. Sutton sentenced Monty to, quote, not more than your natural life, end quote. <laughs> We're not going to keep you alive in order to suffer more time in prison. Or let what? your ghost free. I loved this quote because it came from a news article that was part of the ancestry research that I did. And I was like, I got to use that. (laughs) However, Judge Sutton deferred to the Washington State Parole Board to determine the minimum sentence. Okay. Monty was then transferred to the Washington State Penitentiary in... Walla Walla! Walla Walla! Unfortunately, Monty only served nine years. No. Mm hmm. Ugh. Before being paroled in 1951. After being released, he did move back down to California. Should have said not less than your natural life. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I will imprison your fucking ghost, sir. <laughs> right? And Monty did die on November 5th of 1975 down in Los Alamitos, California. A long-ass time. Yeah. Did Eleanor stay with him? I didn't say. I hope not. She was like a timber heiress, so I'm guessing Eleanor, she was- Eleanor, get the fuck out of there. She probably was like, I'm good. Going through her rebellious phase. <laughs> so there was a little justice in this case, but definitely not enough. It was very unfortunate that it was only nine years. Yeah. 
So as I mentioned earlier, Singer's Lake Crescent Tavern, where Haley worked, is now known as the Lake Crescent Lodge. It offers a variety of guest rooms and the historic Lakeside Roosevelt Cottages, which were named after President FDR. If you find yourself in the area, which I do recommend, and you opt to stay at the lodge, you may also encounter the Lady of the Lake. Yay! Cool. Because she is also said to haunt the lodge and not just the shore. Sure. Employees and guests of the lodge have experienced some of the following. A clattering up and down stairs late at night. Flickering lights, specifically in the bar room. Doors that angrily bang shut. And music in the lounge that gets louder and louder and louder, even though nobody's in the room. And of course, some have seen her shadowy like figure Fuck yeah. throughout the lodge. Very cool. And if you want to take a dip in Lake Crescent, beware of what else might be lurking in the depths. Besides how cold it is. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to go in just for the cold alone, but now I definitely, like, what is it? The thalassophobia, right? Of, like, fear of deep water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't want any soapy hands coming up and grabbing my ankles. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. I just don't like the idea of how deep it is. That I know, right? I also don't like the middle of the ocean. Very true. The Mariana Trench. Fuck that thing. For astrology, like I said, I'm trying to keep this one short and sweet for you guys. For astrology, I did do compatibility Ah, nice. So Haley was a Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Monty was a Libra. I will said oh. Libra. <laughs> the worst pairing. So Libra and Capricorn, I'm going to give this a 1 out of 10. <laughs> this air and earth combo. <sighs> Can they can make it work, but and this is a huge, like Sir Mix a Lot type, a massive but, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just so big. The amount of obstacles that these two would have to overcome is it's honestly overwhelming, and the list was too lengthy too to much. even talk about yeah don't even fucking bother the key if you find yourself in a libra capricorn mix is going to be to find a shared language to show how you feel while still respecting each other for expressing those feelings so yeah wrap your head around that you know it's not gonna happen <laughs> The world is full of possibility, but this really just sounds like a fucking struggle. So, again, one out of ten, I don't recommend. No, it's not good, guys. It's not good. You could definitely find a better pairing than this one. Wow, they have a surprising amount of trust. Yeah, they can, but you have to overcome those obstacles first, right? And there's, I mean, there's a significant amount of obstacles. There's a lot, like. Yeah. I don't like it at all. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. And then I have a couple of astrological tidbits for the upcoming week. So this episode is going to air on Monday, October 3rd. We're finally in October. On Thursday, October 6th, Mercury in Virgo will be trying with Pluto in Capricorn. So this is a happy and very productive trine thanks to the energy of Virgo in Capricorn. 
Oh yeah. Earth, Earth, Earth. We'll bring mm-hmm. the energy. Not the we'll bring the like stick to itness. Yes. The energy. Well, it is going to give us some power and some energy to come up with perfect solutions to some of our more complex problems. So this is going to be a day that you can really figure some shit out. I mean, it's great. I had a lot of shit to figure out, man. (laughs) And then Saturday, October 8th, Pluto goes direct into Capricorn. So Pluto symbolizes regeneration and transformation and rebirth. And let's just say that things get done in Pluto, especially in Capricorn. Yeah. Yeah, especially in Capricorn. Shit's going to get real serious as we start to confront the dark and bring the truth to light. Mm. But it's important important to remember that you cannot move forward if you do not first confront and acknowledge the issue. Don't be like too Capricorn about it though. Have a little tact. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if it's you're looking at yourself, be nice to yourself. There you go. Yes, yeah. Dude, definitely be nice to yourself. Don't ask me how, but like you sh- you should do that. Yeah, do it. Don't ask Hannah the the advice of anything right now for it. I don't know how to be nice to oneself. But you I've gotta heard, be really nice I've to yourself, Hannah. Heard you're supposed to. Actually, you've been doing really well. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Self love, friends. The, the taking yourself out on dates thing is amazing. Oh, yeah. thank you. And then we're gonna round off this week on Sunday, October 9th, with a full moon in Aries. How? Yes. <laughs> this is a hunter's moon. And in Aries, we are going to feel the fire. Yeah, we fucking are. As we become empowered and we seek independence, we seek new experiences and pushing our limits. So kind of an intense week, but like still good though. Yeah, we've had a lot worse. I know, right? For the last four weeks. Good God. Every time it's just Fucking retrograde. (laughs) And we're just like, just stay home. (laughs) Don't go out. Don't talk to people. Just stay home today, too. I guess you can go out if you want. Go hell with the moon like a good Aries. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, so that is what I have for you this week. Like I said, a gentle glide into spooky season with a little bit of haunting and ghostly... Ugh, and I just love compatibility so mm-hmm. fucking much. Apparently, Meredith, I thought Capricorn and Libra were the worst. Apparently, Capricorn and Gemini are the absolute worst together. But I still like as my far as like in com- love compatibility. Or... But that oh, may be why my ex Gemini we're still friends. We're just not relationship friends. Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to say again, we will post our Discord link. So if you want to connect with us on there, please do. And if you want to reach out to us on social media, we're on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. Bye. Bye.
music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.